0: What connects us is infinitely stronger than what separates us. Together, we will explore connection in all its forms, and how feeling connected to ourselves and the world around us is the bridge to fulfilment. Welcome to a new frequency. Welcome to Wavelength. Hi everyone. Hi guys. I'm Irene. I'm Ziggy. And welcome to another episode of Wavelength. So today we're going to talk about yoga and common misunderstandings about what yoga is. And partly this podcast is being recorded because this is a conversation that Ziggy and I have so many times pretty much on, on a daily basis with people in our lives. And mm-hmm. so we felt to speak uh, more uh, deeply uh, about what this practice means for us and and how that may or may not compare to what the preconceived ideas are about modern yoga.
1: Yeah. And a big part of that is really how we interact with yoga as firstly as a word or as a concept um, and then as a practice. And one of the things that surprises most people for me when I talk to them about it is that yoga isn't physical shapes that you make with your body. It, that is definitely an aspect of it, but in terms of the huge trev- treasure trove of information and practices and capacity of this um, really technology or philosophical school, asana is this really quite tiny um, mm-hmm. quite tiny aspect of it, and seeing as you're the one that taught me about this, um, I feel like it's best for you to speak about how... Uh, how yoga has come to mean asana in the West and how it actually got to the West in the first place.
0: Yeah. And I want to really acknowledge that if you're listening to this and you're hearing us so casually acknowledge that that yoga is not asana in and of itself, that that might be a little bit jarring. And if that at all Makes you feel like, wait a minute, what have I been practicing then? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I've been practicing yoga. Uh, I want to really put the caveat in that you have been, yes. uh, and it's a it's a huge part of the yoga practice, but it's not the whole experience. And potentially, if all we have experienced so far is asana, then there's so much more. Mm-hmm. Then you're standing on the at the threshold of experiencing what this incredible system really can offer us and so yoga you know the the historians they really debate when yoga began uh, a tradition that was passed on orally was only written down several thousand years ago and so how far back this tradition goes, we actually don't even know. Mm. Uh, but this is a body of knowledge that was realised, that was experienced uh, by the great masters in India. So it's it's tr- technology that comes from India that was brought to the West by Indian masters uh, not that many years ago mm. and many Practitioners from the West travelled to India, encountered yoga and learnt and studied with masters there in India and then brought back what they knew and, and started teaching that to to people. Uh, originally, uh, the mecca of, of yoga in the West was really the US mm. and there were some teachers who, who were in Europe who went and studied and, and in some other parts of the world but that was really the, the mecca that a lot of the masters from India went to to teach and and that there were many students who traveled from the US to India.
1: And when you say not that long ago, we're talking sort of 50 to 70, 80 years ago, aren't we?
0: Yeah, we're talking in the last century. So that's interesting, right? Because yoga has been around for so long uh, in the West, in our generation, in our lifetime, that it kind of feels like It's always been here. These days, it's a household name. Uh, Everybody practices yoga. (laughs) Um, You see, you walk down the street in most um, urban centres and you see someone walking down the street with a yoga mat under their arm. (laughs) But that experience of yoga being a public exercise class is super contemporary, even within the contemporary history of yoga within the West. Many, many moons ago to be a yogi actually meant to renounce living in society yogis were renunciates mm-hmm. they renounced living in communities they renounced having families and Uh, spending the considerable time and energy that it takes to uh, be in an intimate partnership, to raise a family. That takes a lot from us and, of course, it's extremely worthwhile. Um, But because it takes so much of our attention, many of these great masters of yoga... They renounced a lot of that experience Mm -hmm. and they were often referred to as the forest dwellers um, (laughs) in the scriptures. They went and they closed their eyes and they noticed that when you create the conditions for meditation to occur, mainly stopping, closing the eyes, turning the attention inward, that we can start to expand our awareness And that as our awareness of ourselves expands from this surface level, who am I with my eyes open, my name, my history, um, my likes, my dislikes, slowly that awareness becomes more expansive until you experience the part of you that is universal rather than the part of you that is unique and individual when we're out in the world, um, the part of us that is timeless, our simplest form of awareness. And that when they really rested in that space for, who knows, I, I, I can't say exactly, mm-hmm. but days, weeks, months, years, decades, uh, as they devoted themselves to this experience, they started to go further still. As they rested in that subtlest experience of who they were, actually what became revealed to them was the nature of reality itself, the nature of nature, so to speak. Uh, and so even though now... Through systems like quantum physics, we have the technology to look into a piece of wood and see it down to its subtlest makeup, um, vibration. Uh, They were able to perceive that vibration was the nature of all existence, the nature Mm. of all things that exist, meaning the physical material world, meaning our own bodies and, and our own lives, and that ultimately everything is one thing. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wait a minute, (laughs) this is a huge conversation. I've never heard any of this in a 60-minute yoga class, of course, because how can we possibly distill that down into a 60-minute experience at all, uh, let alone what we've shaped yoga to be? We've shaped shaped yoga into a movement experience, a mindful movement experience, movement with breath, hopefully movement led by breath, Mm. and particularly... Potentially some moment of stillness at the end either through shavasana or through meditation but very much we've inherited yoga as a practice whereas the masters who originally were having these deep profound experiences that they then shared with those who wanted to learn were experiencing yoga as a state of consciousness mm. and i want to really begin there that Yoga asana aside, there are many, many, many techniques uh, and tools within the system of yoga. But first and foremost, to acknowledge that actually yoga is a state of awareness, yeah. that when our <clears throat> awareness becomes very subtle and very expansive, we start to experience yoga as a state.
1: Mm. And that comes back to one of the many definitions – of the word yoga the Sanskrit word yoga which is union Mm -hmm. and something that comes to me as you're talking and and telling the story is that practice is also a really fantastic place to start and that uh, the practice can lead to the word that came up for me when you're telling that story is study and it was the study of reality really yoga this practice was the study of reality whether it was Using yourself sort of as the instrument that could tune into higher frequencies of consciousness or subtle aspects of reality, it was very much a study. There were practices that very much scientific study, where there was almost um, a uh, a theory or a hypothesis, and then testing went on, and then results came back in a very different way than we we understand using our sort of modern laboratories. And uh, but and in a way, the same. In a way, mm-hmm. the exact same, just maybe ones that. When it comes to that level of experience, we don't high we don't put as much um, weight or uh, credence into. Uh, so you start with a practice, which becomes a study, which becomes an experience, and that journey is seems linear. But as you and I both know, and as people that have been practicing themselves for a while know, it's actually very very um, cyclical, where you practice something you uh, you begin to study it then you experience it then you think it may be done and what actually happens is the door is open to a vast room that you can't even imagine um, ex- finishing exploring and even when you finish that one there's another door and it just keeps going and the practice keeps evolving as we evolve uh, and we, as our capacity to experience subtle aspects of the world and subtle aspects of ourselves then this practice just goes deeper and deeper and I think that's something that I see and experience a lot as a teacher, where maybe in, a, in certain contexts, this modern understanding of yoga and that sort of very movement-based asana can feel to, some, feel to some people that it's maybe a little bit shallow on certain levels. And that isn't to say it doesn't still have an amazing effect and an amazing role to play in our lives. But after you've been practicing it for maybe a few years or even a few decades for some people, there's this deep sense in us that this practice has more to offer. Mm. And it's a challenge that the only interaction that we have, unless you've been um, taught to become a teacher, unless you've been sorry taken through a teacher training or, and even then with certain teachers that have that level of expertise expertise and, and understanding, that it doesn't get offered in our everyday classes that yoga means 60 minutes flow at 6:15 in the morning or 6:30 p.m. at night or at your lunch break or something like that and and so it's a very real frustration i think in the community and a very understandable one where you're doing this thing that you can feel the promise that it has but maybe the avenues aren't quite there to explore it just yet
0: mm. and it, you know what's coming up for me is the word intention right what is the intention for us stepping towards yoga if the way we see yoga advertised constantly is uh, someone in exercise clothing doing a, a very gymnastic style shape, then potentially an intention forms of, oh, I'd like to do that. If you hear of someone in your life, in your family, a friend who practices yoga and raves about it, maybe the intention forms, oh, if I do yoga, I'll feel better. Mm. And so whatever our access is um, to To learning about yoga to hearing about yoga probably an intention begins to form but what's very interesting is that whatever the doorway is whether you go and you practice in a public yoga class and uh, no matter whether that public class is um very physical in its nature or very spiritual in its nature Mm. because let's be honest there is no one standard These days, you know, you could go to a thousand different yoga classes and each one would be very different, Um, let alone there are so many different styles. Um, You know, as we're talking, I'm realising there's there's so much in this conversation (laughs) to unpack, you know. Um, But as we step towards this practice, it doesn't really matter what the gateway is towards experiencing yoga. What is very soon revealed is that whatever you thought it was, it's much more than that. Yeah. Uh, and I hesitate to define it in any one way because I really want to bring in the idea that yoga is different for every single individual who practices because it is such a vast system and it leans into all these different areas of self, into the body, into the mind, into the breath uh, and beyond, into who we are and how we live. the so state of being yeah, part of yoga is is who am I? But then as we expand into who you are is a part of a community, a society, a part of nature, ecosystem, the universe, then we understand that who we are and how we act is inseparable from the environment. Yeah. Uh, and there's this, this dance um, or uh, symbiosis between uh, who we are within ourselves and who we are within the world. And yoga touches all of those aspects of
1: self. Mm. And I think that a big part of uh, a big part of this conversation is we're sort of now discussing what can often be misunderstood about yoga. Um, But, and those of you that listen uh, to this podcast frequently know that Irene and I never want to present our view as absolute and we never want to present our view as the truth. And really the conversations are explorations. And so I really want to talk about a little bit about how we understand yoga not about how it should be understood but just what has what what comes up for us and what brings us towards uh the practice and and what the practice has revealed to us and so much for me comes back to that word union and something that i share regularly when i teach is that i've met incredible people that are far better if that's the right word or far more accomplished or thorough yogis than I am that have never practiced asana, that have never practiced meditation, that have never practiced breath work. And that... Can ex- you say
0: more about that? Do you mean people that are very uh, self-aware and, yeah.
1: and um, very connected to their place in the world? And connected to more than just themselves as well. And so something that you know immediately is relevant for me as us being in Australia is First Nations elders, for example, people that have this deep connection to land, to family, to spirit, that completely transcends their individual realities. Mm. And so whether that's being able to literally talk to the land, literally talk to the creatures that walk it, the plants that live on it, um, move and work with fire in a way that makes you look as though there's a relationship between these people, be able to talk to the tides. Um, and, And at the same time, you know these people have never practiced surya namaskar they've never done sat in meditation for hours on end not in the way that we understand it anyway or the yogis uh, yogically would understand it and i've something that um our teacher has said to me is you know yoga is the balance this state of union not only of mind and body not only of yourself and other but you and everything else around you and so whether that's comes in the form of maybe being a gardener or a permaculture expert for example where you actually have a relationship and you feel a very visceral connection with the soil whether that's with an as an artist or a musician or an accountant whatever it might be it actually doesn't really matter what the um what the pastime is or what your um or what your role is it's the connection that you feel through it and the state of union and an internal balance and awareness that begins to rise and blossom from that
0: mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think anything that we do with great presence uh, could be defined as yoga, yeah. as as an experience of yoga, and yet the system and the practice of yoga uh, is a very uh, masterful. Sequence, Yeah. Um, and so you might hear us zoom in and out from this experience of living in a present and powerful and expanded way to the actual system of yoga. Uh, and so just to underline that, yes, hopefully this is expanding you into the reflection of, how, do I experience the state of yoga? Mm. How often do I feel expanded and connected um, and both grounded in myself the depths of who i am but also connected to everything um beyond me that is yoga Mm. and it's an important question if you're listening to this to reflect on does my practice take me there whatever i'm practicing as yoga whatever i define yoga as in this moment whatever i do that is yoga does it help me feel that way um that sense of connection that sense of expansiveness um And if it doesn't, that's important. And allow that question to start to take you somewhere else to lead you towards potentially um, your next phase in your experience with yoga. But as a practice, yoga is extremely systematic. And I want to delineate now between traditional yogic practices and contemporary yogic practices. Mm -hmm. Um, There are several schools uh, of yoga that lean... um, back, 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 back into uh, the traditional times when yoga becomes something that you can do physically. Because for many, many moons, yoga wasn't systematized. These yogis were uh, rebels. Pretty rogue. Yeah, they they were rebels and, and they were wanderers and they had deep experiences. Um, a lot of the yogic wisdom that is really um, written in the scriptures is... Uh, is revealed knowledge it's not attributed to a person it was revealed in deep states of meditation rather than than written from a level of mind by some intelligent um, Mm. individual and so it took some time some generations really before yoga becomes systematized and the first time we can really speak to that is through the work of Patanjali, through the Yoga Sutras. That is the very first time that yoga becomes a system, a sequence, something that you can practice rather than a spontaneous state that you, that you drop into when you create the conditions for it, like these, these um, forest dwellers or these yogic masters would do. But interestingly, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras isn't even about asana yet. Yeah. It's really about the mind. Um, It's really yoga psychology. It's understanding who you are from the surface in the world all the way through to the subtlest parts of who you are. Uh, And then later still, uh, really it's Krishnamacharya who begins to create a system involving hatha, involving asana, where we're actually starting to use the body in order to experience yoga. And then we're starting to integrate um, body, mind, breath in a very practical way and in a very physical way. And, you know, we could have a, a whole podcast on the different um, the different styles of yoga, but perhaps it's useful just to to set that that scene. Uh, that physical yoga is very contemporary within the broader history of yoga. But when we start to have the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which is really only you know in medieval days, if we if we put that in a timeline, that that might be relevant um, with with what we already know in our human history. Uh, and much more contemporary is hatha yoga, now we're starting to see yoga as something that I can do, Mm -hmm. something that I can practice to do what? To create change, to start to shift my state, to start to change my body, to start to change my my thought patterns, to start to change the way I breathe, and to notice that as I impact one, it impacts the others. So we start to understand yoga as this holistic practice that can be used to balance, to harmonize, to enliven, to strengthen every part of who we are.
1: And really this journey away from suffering and towards freedom and joy.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, say more about that.
1: Well, to me, that's a big part of what the promise of this practice is, is, you know, there are certain schools within... Yogic philosophy and also other forms of philosophy, whereas there's this sort of undercurrent of life is suffering, that you know we are we're souls or consciousness incarnate into physical forms and and therefore we have to sort of struggle through the trials and tribulations of life. That's kind of the promise of Christianity in lots of ways, right? It's this this penance that we're almost serving or this difficulty to see if we get into the club of heaven at the end, where there's this bouncer that. Decides if you've been good or bad, and if you're if you've been good, you come in. If not, then you go to even more suffering. Um, but my understanding of tantra, for example, is is not that the the school that you and I both come from is that there is challenge in life, there is difficulty, and with that, there is the potential for suffering. But through expanding ourselves, increasing our awareness and our experience our experiential levels we can actually begin to find the grace in that difficulty. We can find the light in the dark for, to use that um, very common adage, that we use this practice, whether it's the systematized approach or um, ones that maybe are slightly less systematized to take us away from these aspects of the world, this pain that we we feel, that we experience, that's always coming from the internal uh, understanding and our internal experience of the external world. And the more we learn, the more we practice, the more we clear, then a lot of that challenge that suffering moves in the direction of freedom and joy.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you know it's it, they're big words, suffering, freedom, joy. Um, so much of the human pursuit is around fulfillment, moving towards that which is pleasurable. Um, that is life enhancing life supporting and uh, away from suffering the things that bring us pain and so what we start to see is that yoga as a state of consciousness allows us to have that experience yeah because when we close the eyes and our awareness becomes more subtle we start to connect to the part of us that is steady that is Unbreakable, unshakable, that is timeless. And that's a direct experience because if you're listening to this, it can sound very sweet, but it can also sound like a lovely story. Hmm. It can sound like a lovely idea that we have to believe, but that's not what yoga is at all. Why we refer to it as a science is because, through the tools and practices of asana meditation breath work we can start to prepare and prime the body the mind the nervous system to be able to have that subtler experience and then at that point as we create space between here is a thought that is painful here is a thought about myself that that here are some doubts that i'm experiencing to 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 bring an example as I start to allow my awareness to become more expansive, it's like I zoom out and I see my challenges and I see myself and I see my life from a broader vantage point. Mm. Uh, and, and when we have this more um, expansive awareness of ourselves and our place in the world, suddenly we realize, oh, there's something I can do that actually shifts this state our capacity to change our state, to change our thoughts, to change our mind, Um, there's plenty in contemporary science that, that speaks to that in the form of neuroplasticity, that nothing is fixed as a human being, that every single part of us that is physical, that is material, and that includes mind and body, is forever changing and growing and aging and evolving. And so to have the kind of technology that yoga gifts us To be able to to work at any one of these levels and start to create changes is how we start to move from some experience that might cause us suffering towards greater fulfillment. Mm -hmm. This is how we start to be able to ask these important questions in life of what do I want? Where do I feel stuck and how do I move towards becoming, embodying, experiencing um, that which I'm desiring? And that's really the heart of what yoga, and in particular for you and I, uh, Tantrikatha yoga, which is just one system out of many, 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 but one that leads into traditional teachings, yeah. um, That that empowers you to start to shape your life and to start to feel like... Through greater awareness of who you are, uh, you're actually able to have an impact on your life and have an impact on the world. Uh, So even though we hear the words of karma as though it's like it's all out of your control, Uh, you know this cause and effect. You do something bad, and then you're destined to um, to reap the punishment for your actions. Yoga is the system that starts to fight against this idea of um, we're doomed. Um, or, if we suffer, it's forever. Or, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, it's this master system for self empowerment, for self awareness. And together, the two, when I understand who I am and I understand that I am powerful and I have choice and will, mm. uh, I have, can build my energy and direct it in the direction that I want to move, we become a force in the world
1: yeah and just to really hone in on that last point that you've made of that the importance and the the capacity of this practice in empowerment and self-awareness and how so often those two are inextricably linked as well and so the more empowered we become so often the more our awareness increases and the more our awareness increases the more empowered we actually feel and as you just said that is the the promise of this practice whether you're following it um in a really systematic way uh, or if you are um delving sort of in and out and um you know maybe a little bit which is an analogy i know you've used before a bit like a bee around some flowers and and dotting around to to different um to different ones and different flavors to see what fits best for you that is the that is the promise of this um that is the promise of this technology and i I really believe that when we become to come back to your original point, really intentional with what we're doing, you know a line that Rod Streicher, our um, teacher, has used regularly, you know if your practice isn't evolving your life, if it isn't evolving it rapidly, then you may be doing something wrong, and that isn't to say that what you've done so far is wrong, but if you're feeling ready to dive a little bit deeper, then that calling is coming because you're ready to and everything you've done so far. And I would love to hear you speak a little bit about what your advice would be to students that feel that call, that feel ready to advance their practice, to deepen their experience of yoga, um, of asana, uh, as, you know, as a very senior teacher in our Australian community.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think number one, you know, we can talk a lot about asana is just one or yoga physical yoga practice. Um, just to define that word in case we haven't already, just in case, um, you know, sometimes it can feel like oh yeah, my practice is very physical, and you know, we can look at that as oh, there's so much more to be experienced um, in yoga, and in the the hatha system. Um, that I teach, really there are multiple stages uh, of practice in terms of advancement. And actually yoga asana isn't considered yoga in that system, Mm. in that seven-stage system. It's considered preparation for yoga. And as you hear that, you might get discouraged. (laughs) But actually I see it in a totally different way. I see it as if you have been dedicated to your physical yoga practice for a year, two years, 10 years, then you are completely prepared to dive headfirst into the deeper teachings of yoga. You're completely prepared to see and experience how this practice can begin to transform you extremely rapidly. But if we're doing it through physical postures alone, we won't get there. And so for me, you need to have the desire before it moves you into action. And so if you're listening to this and you desire more, that idea of this yoga practice can do so much more than shape my body and my breath. It can begin to totally shape how I see myself, how I live my life and how fulfilled I am with the choices that I make in my life, how empowered I feel. If you are desiring that, then th- allow that question to start to lead you in a particular direction because that's how it happened for me uh, that when I started my yoga practice it was extremely physical I started practicing with a, um, a, a particular style called ayanga yoga um, which is uh, very orientated towards the body uh, and I didn't stay in that system for for very long it was probably only the first year that I practiced and so um, I can't speak completely to it um, in the way I can speak to Uh but then I tried lots of different styles and I was you know I was searching for a teacher I almost didn't know it then um, but I was going from one thing to the other and um, the seeker in me was was seeking more knowledge or seeking more experience um, now as I speak I knew that it was a deeper part of me knowing that there's more to this system. But at the time, it didn't feel certain like that. It didn't feel like I knew what I was looking for. I was just searching. Um, And then eventually, I bumped into my teacher. uh, And meanwhile, on the way, I was learning new things and doing new courses and having experiences. um, And it led me to where I am today until I found a system that, for me, leaves me doubtless. um, When I am practicing tantrikatha both in my own daily practice when i'm teaching it when i'm sharing it um, there is a a sense of absolute um, knowing that this path is useful because i experience it shaping me in a way no other practice has done um, on a daily daily basis and so i i think having the desire to know more is the only thing that you need Mm. Um, and as you have the desire to know more, something very interesting happens. You might listen to this podcast and think, yeah, I want more. And then in the next moment, you open Instagram and a teacher who you've been following for a while offers a course. Mm. And maybe it's about yogic philosophy or maybe it's about breath work. And so you go to that and you have that experience and then it takes you somewhere else. Um, you know, the the question reveals the answer. Um, and the beauty about that is that it very mirrors yogic um, yogic wisdom blossoming for us. That as we do the practice, it itself is the teacher. Yeah, it itself is the teacher. And so um, curiosity is is number one. And you know, I I hesitate. Tantric is what speaks um, deeply for me, um, but it may not be for you. Yeah, And so, uh, you know, I want to really offer you this this question of what do you desire to experience and is your number one uh, and number two is your current yoga practice giving you that. And if it's not, perhaps starting to open yourself up to having some different experiences.
1: Yeah. And within that, the understanding that just because you're trying one thing or another doesn't mean that at some point you can't change, that... We've said this before on this podcast that all of these are the different streams that lead to the same ocean and just because the water doesn't feel as comfortable in one doesn't mean it won't in the other uh and and in saying that that when you do feel like what you're practicing and doing is being effective in your life that is creating change in the way that you want it to then occasion well not occasionally but having the courage and the commitment to see where that takes you a little bit as we've both spoken about already uh we have been really interested in experiencing lots of um lots of different practices and ideas and um and techniques and uh philosophical schools i've been lucky to have you a little bit further ahead than me on the journey so i can sort of learn from all of your jumping around and be like actually this feels pretty good i don't feel the need to do that um But, you know, if we're always moving from river to river, sometimes we won't actually move downstream. And being committed to a certain path, whether that's for a year, a decade, a lifetime, whatever it might be, will often really reap the rewards that we're so often searching for. And reminds me of a previous guest on this podcast who talked about if we're digging wells in all these different places, sometimes we'll never hit water. And it can be... uh, it can be much more effective and um, and powerful in our lives if we just choose one spot and dig until we find the water there.
0: Mm, and it might seem like a sidestep um, from the theme of today's podcast, but I want to speak for a moment to the power and role of the teacher. Yeah. Um, we find a teacher that hopefully points us back to the practice being... Our most important teacher, that we ourselves, having the experience of practicing uh, and doing a practice that is unique to us, I really have to um, kind of underline that. Uh, even though you know we won't speak to it completely and entirely in this podcast, um, but going to a public class is always going to have its limitations. Mm. It doesn't mean we don't go. It doesn't mean that's not an amazing way to practice with different teachers and have different experiences. But there may come a time when you realize, I'm not changing rapidly because I'm doing something different every day. Each one of us uh, needs something unique. And this practice, before it was an industry, before yoga was uh, you know, taught as a public class in studios, uh, pretty much in, in every major city, um, mm. pretty much in every suburb, there's a studio in every major city around the world, and then some. Uh, prior to that, yoga was something that was um, prescribed individually mm. for each person. One
1: teacher to one student
0: and i think we miss that in modern yoga and that's what that's part of what feeds the misconceptions about what this practice is all about that we experience it in a public setting with one teacher teaching a room full of 40 people whatever it is that they want to teach on that day um, and that is useful absolutely but is it specific Mm. you know the kinds of rapid change that we're talking about is more than just this system is going to change you more rapidly than that system it's about understanding what you need and finding a teacher to help you work towards that and so even if you've been practicing for 10 years if there's a teacher who you resonate with who inspires you or who here's the important word, is embodied yeah. in the kinds of changes that you're wanting to make in your own life, then perhaps working one-on-one with that person and getting them to gift you, prescribe you a, a practice that you can work with independently for some time. It might be one technique or it might be a complete pr- practice of movement and breathwork and meditation, um, but that is what starts to create that rapid change that, that we're talking about. Um, and so you know, if we can have a little to-do list for people as as we wrap up for today, I think, number one, um, ask yourself, what does yoga mean to you? Mm-hmm. Number two, ask yourself, what I'm currently practicing, is it helping me change? Is it helping me move towards fulfillment and away from whatever causes me to suffer? And number three, do I have someone who I respect in terms of their embodiment, in terms of the skillfulness of their teaching that I can come to for guidance so that I feel like I have uh, a guide on on this path that can uh, help answer my questions and, and help move me in the direction that I'm wanting to go and I hope that that person is someone that is going to, at every opportunity, not tell you the answer, but guide you to come up with your own answers. Because ultimately, that's what yoga does. It yeah. empowers us to be a sovereign being, independent, self-aware, empowered in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't add anything to those, <laughs> uh, those few questions. I think that is um, a really important list. And I always count myself so lucky that I met you so early on basically the first teacher that I worked with um and so I didn't have to go through the um this the sort of sifting for gold process that I see so many others having to go through and um and it is a it can be really really challenging and it can be something that can um can grind on us and it can be uh and it can be a bit of a struggle but as you sort of alluded to that um, that ancient maxim like when the when the student is ready the teacher will appear and so when you feel really clearly what you actually want and through those three questions and through your own reflective processes the teacher will emerge not only from you but also as um as another person that can help guide you towards that life and and towards the the parts of you the deeper essences of you that are so ready to come to the surface
0: and so i'm so excited that we finally recorded this podcast Uh, you know as someone who's been practicing yoga for 20 years it has absolutely shaped who i am as an individual in the world Uh, and it is a practice that i believe in So absolutely. But I think we lose a lot of people who come to a yoga class and think this isn't for me Mm. uh, when we reduce it down to uh, a mindful way of moving because it is that and so much more. So my biggest hope is that this has uh, spiked your curiosity uh, and that as you're listening to this podcast, uh, it starts to – blossom a question in you uh a a curiosity in you and that it starts to lead you on uh, the
1: incredible adventure that is absolutely limitless and if through this conversation you feel pulled to reach out to either us um either via wavelength or via our personal channels which are very easy to find online then please do we always have a plethora of Books and podcasts and things that we, can, uh, that we can send your way or if you feel called to talk to either of us around, um, around working individually with a teacher, whether that's with us or someone else, then then please do. We're always here to answer your questions. So thanks so much for being with us for another episode of Wavelength and hope you have a wonderful day and we will speak to you guys soon. Bye. Thank you for joining us. To stay connected, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at WavelengthProjects.co. To support Wavelength, share this podcast with friends and family and subscribe to our mailing list at WavelengthProjects.co, the link to which you can find in our description. There you will be able to find further resources and information on our topic and guests. Thank you to Phoenix Manson for our music and production and to all the others who have supported us to make this project possible. And thank you for being here and for amplifying our frequency. We'll see you next time.